BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, hey, hey. Our test is in the stands. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna freeze. Uh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is! It's Taco Tuesday! Welcome to the Points in the Pain podcast presented by Stadium. Ben Wittenstein and... Zach Badger House in the house. The NBA is... Sort of, maybe, kind of back. Sort of, maybe, kind of, potentially. Who knows? We got to wait and see. But we do have some dates. We do. <laughs> we do have some target dates. So that's definitely good news, right? We do. We have some target dates. Uh, we also have a guest on the pod today, Eric Woodyard, um, a writer with ESPN, The Undefeated. Lovely chatting with Eric. It was a good time. I think he, had, he brought some good perspective. Definitely brought some uh, open view perspective on the NBA and its potential to return. And so I'm uh, definitely looking forward to uh, having him on. And it's, you know, it's going to it's been great. Yeah. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at points paint. Um, that is on Twitter at points paint. We'll be tweeting out this episode um, on Tuesday morning. And hopefully we can start doing maybe weekly episodes in the next couple of weeks once the NBA actually gets started. But uh, we do have the dates, as Zach said, um, and that is the first of our big three. The big three. And the dates were provided by uh, our very own stadium's very own Sham Sharani. And he mentioned that July 30th may be the start of when the NBA begins its games. It thought at first that it was going to be like July 31st. So I guess they, pushed it back or pushed it up one day. Um, and it's going to be July 30th to August 14th will be the seeding games. Playing tournament will begin the next day. Playoffs begin on August 17th. And then you'll have playoffs through that. And then the NBA finals supposedly are supposed to start on September 30th. And then they will end on October 13th if there is a game seven. So that is kind of the timeline for what the NBA is expecting for this uh, restart of the season. But, Zach, it's kind of in jeopardy a little bit. We, we're just not, still not 100% sure that they're going to do this. Yeah, and even with it being in jeopardy, that puts the uh, the return of the following season and those, and in the off-season dates, that put those kind of dates on a tentative type of schedule too as well because you have, you know, even after, well, even in between, you know, all those dates that you mentioned with the conference finals and the NBA finals beginning September 30th, you got things like the NBA lottery that's supposed to take place August 25th. And then you have, you know, uh, 
The NBA draft, obviously, is going to have to take place, too. That's October 15th, supposedly. And then after that, the the free agency is supposedly supposed to start only three days later, as opposed to a usual, like, maybe 10 days. Free agency is going to to begin its way October 18th, supposedly, of this year. And then you have training camp beginning less than three weeks after that, November 10th. And then, obviously, opening night, they're trying to – it looks like it's, it may not going to happen according to the NBA players, but December 1st looks like the opening night for the 2020-2021 season. So a lot yeah. of things is uh, right now looking a little condensed. And so we're not really sure how the schedule is going to turn out and also how the players actually feel about returning as a whole in general as the date gets closer. Yeah, it's uh, it's a mess right now. And that's that's a nice way of considering what's going on because it seemed like, you know, two weeks ago when we were talking about this, and I think they agreed, we talked about how we were talk, we knew that they were going to agree to something the week we released the podcast, because that's what always happens with this podcast news breaks, you know, two days after we release it. But they did exactly that. At the end of the week, they talked about how the NBA PA and, and the owners had agreed, setting a date, setting parameters, timeline, everything like that. And then it all gets blown up this past week where it looks like players – Getting saying they're getting cold feet, I think, is an insult to the players. I think they're more voicing their concerns for the first time because it seemed like everything was going well. The owners were holding hands with Adam Silver, who were holding hands with the Players Association. It seemed like everyone is getting along. Kumbaya, everyone agreed with everything. And now we're finding out that that's just not the case. Yeah, it doesn't look like, you know, some uh, stars, uh, particularly Kyrie Irving, has voiced his – displeasure about returning and then uh, Dwight Howard has recently been one of those players too as well and then I remember not too long ago we mentioned Damian Lillard you know saying that if you know he may not play either if they're not going to potentially uh complete and be in the playoffs you know before they obviously have been given that opportunity and so like if players have this displeasure and concern you know, with this coronavirus situation, and even Carmelo Anthony was one of the, one of those players too, as well, who mentioned that we don't really know all the the details and the facts about the coronavirus before we decide to all just come into a bubble and play some basketball. Now, granted, if uh, you know, if they're able to, you know, keep it, you know, quarantine and you know, not have anybody catch this coronavirus or you know, be tested positive or anything before training camp or before they get back into the, into the groove of things. And I think uh, this could potentially work. But like I said, the players are the ones who have the final say. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the interesting part because we're seeing this all around every league, even in college um, where players are really finding their voice and, and asserting their power in the relationship between the league and, and the players. And we're seeing the players do that constantly right now. And, they have a very good point, and people, I know that Kyrie Irving has had a history of being a disturber and a disruptor and someone who is always moving from team to team and, and hurting coaches and teams and players and things like that, but you can't say that Kyrie doesn't have a point because he has a point in terms of the players being worried about their health and also being worried about all the social justice causes that are going on right now. Those are two very important things that – Every NBA player clearly has very strong feelings about. So then for just to tell them, you know, you have to go back and play. Yeah, can't worry about social justice. Don't worry about your health. It's understandable that they'd be worried about that. Absolutely. And then you got to think, too, you know, there's been recent recent reports that, you know, since 
certain states had opened back up, including Florida, that, you know, the Florida uh, COVID cases have increased because, right. you know, they've they've been vulnerable enough to uh, put themselves out there because, you know, their state has opened back up. People have felt the need to go out and be out on the beach and, you know, go out and have a good time, as, as I've seen on Twitter. And it's I'll, I'll just have to say that it's kind of silly and uh kind of ridiculous to go out there and do, you know, because like you're not you're putting, you know, yourself at risk and others by going out and uh being out and you know out with others and everything like that during this uh during this time where people should be quarantined and being being inside as much as possible you know like people have said you know throughout all of this and so you know that's something to play in account you know to to actually have you know all these players 22 teams go out in florida you know because that's where orlando is and basically play some basketball and, and risk their lives and risk their health you know that's something that's kind of seeming like it's being swept under the rug but if you pay attention to society right now Ben, people kind of act like as if not even just in florida but just you know in other places including where we are even in, in chicago people have just act, pretended as if you know the coronavirus has just disappeared and like it's just no longer here and so yeah that's something to definitely uh consider you know right now you know this virus is something serious and so if cases are hiking up where they're going to be playing basketball you know that's definitely something that's hazardous right it's going to be hard they're bringing 1500 people i think is is the amount of people that are going to be required to quarantine inside that bubble that's a lot of people to have to not get the virus because really all it takes one and the ability for that thing to spread pretty quickly is is going to be really easy so i mean that's it's a very valid concern for them to be worried about that and i guess this is our what our second of the big three but the big three you know, the league's plan for, for players do – I know they said early on, this was I think a couple of weeks ago, I saw that they said if one player tests positive, they're not going to shut down the league because they do are going to have daily testing. They're going to make sure these players are tested every single every day. Every other day so, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so the hope is that they catch it early so that it stops the spread. So if one player gets it, they're not going to necessarily shut down the league. But if a player gets it, there's going to be other players who are going to be extremely worried about playing after that happens. That's the other thing they have to be worried about. Exactly. I think I think that's all it's going to take. And even if it's the twelfth man, it doesn't even matter. Like it could be the it could be the twelfth man on a team that's competing for a playoff spot. So it could be the twelfth man on the uh, Portland Trailblazers. He just so happens to be uh, tested positive for the coronavirus, and boom, you know, it's then it. They're going to probably just shut the whole thing down like the season. But see, that's something. And then the NBA is going to receive backlash or something like that. Like if that takes place, right, and someone tests positive, then they're going to say, well, why would they, why did they do it in the first place, right? Why did they bring the season back in the first place? And then it's going to be those players who voice displeasure of returning because of this. They're going to echo that now even more because, you know, they originally said, that they didn't want to do this or they shouldn't do this. And so to put in that predicament, it's really going to be tough to, to really see how it'll pan out if someone does actually, you know, be tested positive with the coronavirus. But if it doesn't happen, then it looks like, a, you know, a win-win for everyone, including the NBA fan, you know. Yeah, and luckily, we the amount of players that tested positive uh, around the whole Rudy Gobert fiasco, none of them actually got very sick. And we seeing this also today on Monday, they talked about Ezekiel Elliott was one of the players, multiple players on the Cowboys testing positive for coronavirus, but Ezekiel Elliott was asymptomatic. So he, he wasn't sick. So even if it does spread, these players may not get sick, but 
if one of them does get actually sick, maybe even, and hopefully not, but if they have to make a hospital visit, this is going to become an even bigger issue. And like you said, there's going to be people then looking back and saying, why would you even restart the league in the first place? And they're yeah. going to have even more issues on their hands if a player has to be hospitalized with coronavirus. Which leads to the third of the big three. The big three. With NBA players have an issue with return because not only do we have this coronavirus situation, we have a social <laughs> injustice situation that that's going on right now in this country and it's having a huge impact uh, on this country. And we even discussed that with Eric, you know, on the pod too as well. And so, yeah, you know, this George Floyd situation, the tragedy of his death, you know, that's impacted or should have impacted everyone across the world, not even just the country, because there's been protests, you know, now globally as it relates to the death of George Floyd. And so there's been plenty of uh, players out here who have voiced their uh, concern with uh, social justice and and the impact that it's having on them to not even focus on basketball, you know, and so with all of that going on, Ben, it's really tough to decipher if there's going to really be some NBA basketball. Yeah, and, and Eric, you said in, in the interview that we'll play in a second, but he said people like George Hill were talking about basketball just takes a back seat. It, it has to take a back seat to something like this. And it, it's going to be interesting to just see how these players react, because I don't think the NBA wants to necessarily force these players to play. And they said that, if a player doesn't want to play, they, they'll be allowed to skip out on the season. They just won't get paid, but they'll be allowed to skip out on the rest of the season, which is fair. I think you need to give them that that out if they don't want to play in the season. But I, I just I, we don't know how it's going to play out. No one really knows at this point how it's going to play out because it's the league and the Players Association hasn't come to a 100% full agreement on everything that's going to happen. Right. And then, like, you know, a black player told Yahoo Sports, like, what message are we sending by agreeing to do this during this time? You know, we're out here marching and protesting, yet we leave all our families in this scary time to gather and perform at a place where the owners won't even be at. What type of sense does that make? You know, that'll be going backwards. You know, that place isn't that magical, you know, close quote. But, you know, it's things like that being voiced by black players in the NBA that, you know, this may not be a good time from a social society standpoint to really be considering bringing back some basketball. Now, however, on the flip side of this, Ben, this is something that we probably really haven't really talked about and really discussed, you know, honestly, but the money aspect. And I think that's really why this is really being pushed so hard the way that it is, Ben, is that the money aspect, because there's been some uh, reports simmering around about the idea of the following season, 2021, 2020-2021, excuse me, that that season may be a lockout season because of the potential money that could be lost. You know, $1.2 billion could potentially be lost by player salary uh, for next year if in this uh, season doesn't continue. And so there's the money aspect of this economically where it's like, okay, guys, I get I get what's going on, but your money is also at risk, too. Yeah, there's and I mean, that's that's a whole other, I guess, <laughs> that needs to be figured out because they, they have to get paid. You, you're not going to have Le- LeBron James's of the NBA. They're not all making 30, 40 million dollars a year. You got some of these guys that, you know, either two, three million dollars. Yes, it's a lot of money, but 
if you're not going to make any of that, they're going to be worried about how they're going to financially help themselves. So it's it's a whole thing that they need to worry about. Like, they have to worry about their health. They have to worry about speaking out on social justice. And then they also have to worry about getting paid. And all three of those issues, they can't work together in harmony right now. They kind of are pushing up like back against each other. So that's like, how did the hell do you even figure that out? And it's so like interesting to see because, like, they're talking about condensing the NBA season next year. Because, you know, maybe maybe that'll help the money situation. But who really knows? You know, the CBA and the renegotiation, you know, there really could honestly be a uh, a lockout. You know, even a coach said that. A Western Conference coach even came out, came out and said that, too, as well. You know, basketball-related income, you know, that, that could potentially drop as well. You know, cap reductions for free agents. So, you know, you become a free agent, you won't be able to get as much money as you probably would have because of the uh, potential revenue of the NBA that they possibly could miss. And so it's just all of these different aspects of like the economic standpoint of not returning or, you know, shortening the season, the following season, there's just so, so much at risk from a financial standpoint with the players and the teams. And so that's something that the players also have to consider too, you know, how, how much, how much money is important to them, you know? Yeah, there's definitely still, uh, it seems like there's still a long way to go. And we tried to talk a little bit about it with Eric Woodyard um, and try to break it down. He tried to help us make sense of it a little bit as well. Um, so here's our interview with Eric. Ben, you know how excited I am for this. I've been uh, waiting all weekend for this to uh, take place. And, well, we'd like to introduce Mr. Flint Native and uh, Western Michigan University graduate, current ESPN NBA reporter, uh, Eric Woodyard on the podcast. How you doing, sir? What's up, man? How you doing, man? You all like? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. We're trying to stay uh, quarantined as best we can. Right, Ben? Yeah, we are. Yeah. It's been, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been uh, pretty crazy during this uh, pandemic with this coronavirus situation. And so we want to know basically how you've been doing in this quarantine situation. Man, just just study trying to work. You know, it's difficult at times because the access is not there. Um, it makes you appreciate the little things that we had before, man, because uh, I ain't going to say we took it for granted, but it was just almost like we thought it was part of the job. And now you see that things can be taken away. So we appreciate it that much more. But I've also been enjoying this time with my family. So it's been great. It, it really has. That's great to hear uh, for sure. And I, I definitely agree with you. It definitely um is a situation now where you just, you know, appreciate the little things in life for sure, especially like being with your uh, your family and loved ones. But uh, one thing I wanted to know, we both wanted to know rather, was like the pandemic situation. How has it impacted your life from a personal standpoint and, you know, being an NBA reporter with like no NBA? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing as far as the second question is uh, how has it impacted it? Um, it's just make you get more creative. You know, you really have to test yourself as a reporter. Can you still write stories? Can you still, uh, you know, rely on guys to give you information, even though uh, there's no access, you know, like uh, face-to-face interactions, like going to games and things like that. So um, it's been challenging, but it's been fun at the same time because it's forcing you to think outside the box. It's forcing you to work hard. And uh, I've still been able to find some great stories uh, throughout this time. i got a really big story coming tomorrow with Rodney Hood. Um, and I, I hope you guys get a chance to check it out as he's recovering from his Achilles injury and, uh, I've just really just been trying to think outside the box and find things. But personally, like I say, I've been spending time with my family, um, also still working, but, you know, trying to balance both. So 
um, I'm just just counting my blessings. I'm still living, and I haven't, you know, not sick or anything. Knock on yeah. wood, you know. But uh, other than that, it's been great. Awesome, and yeah, we'll look forward to uh, that Rodney Hood story. I know he was out there in Utah at the time where you were actually covering the Utah Jazz. So I know you guys probably have a uh, good relationship too, as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I went to I actually went to his hometown one time as well, uh, Meridian, Mississippi, and I did a big story right before he got traded. You know, like basically how trade affects a player's life as well because we all think it's like a video game or something but we don't understand that you know guys have to move their families have to move um it affects everybody around them so i, I was able to go to meridian mississippi and do that story right before he got traded from utah so yeah we definitely continue the great relationship from there and so like how has that transition been for you you know uh at the time where you were in utah to now you know covering uh the whole nba as a whole you know for espn you know once covering the utah jazz at a point in time yeah it, it was different at first because i never i just focused on one team all the time i was traveling everywhere with that team i was just stuck to one team so um it was like i was around all the time it was so many different stories popping up just from being around so that was the biggest adjustment uh, in addition to moving, you know, back from Salt Lake to Chicago, I never lived in a big city like Chicago. So uh, living in Chicago, you know, was definitely a transition and going back and forth to Milwaukee. So uh, that was probably just the, the biggest difference was just changing the pace and not writing every day all the time. That was difficult for me at first, uh, but just more so focusing on super, super quality over quantity, you know, all the time. I'm not saying I wasn't doing quality in Utah because I feel like I did amazing work out there, but. Um, just focusing on, you know, trying to find great stories that, you know, can appeal to a nationwide fan base. All right, Eric. So now that the NBA obviously is reportedly supposedly coming back at the end of July and, and they're going to be playing in Orlando, we've seen recently, even this past week, players speaking up, talking against the league, saying they value their health a little bit more than possibly coming back and, and getting and getting sick. And they also have a lot to do with the social justice movements going on with Black Lives Matter. Just, I guess, in general, what have you heard or anything more that you've heard about the situation, about what players think or, or or how they feel about returning to play in Orlando? Because it does seem that they're more than we expected in terms of players not ready or, or don't think it's a good idea to come back and play. Yeah, I think, you know, I've been following a lot of reports. And, you know, I just did a story with George Hill a couple of days ago, and he was just saying, like, basketball is the last thing on his mind with everything that's going on and emotionally what they're dealing with guys worried about their physical health so i think uh, everybody's not the same some guys want to come back and hope you saw kyle kuzma come on like you know we still want to hoop but some of the guys i think you know as it's getting closer they, they might be getting a little cold feet you know or they might it's just so much going on within the world it's like focusing on sports is probably difficult for some of them i can't speak for everybody but you know with anything everybody's not going to you know have the same views that's what makes us unique as individuals so um i think guys that probably see a window of getting a championship, probably want to return more. But some of those guys who, who aren't, you know, it's it's going to be tough, man, being, you know, on a resort for three months, you know, limited family members. These guys are millionaires who live the best of the best. Not saying they won't have great, be taken great care of there, but, I mean, they're, they're accustomed to a different type of lifestyle. So you have to factor all of that in, and you can't really blame someone if they don't want to play. We saw Pat Bev say this, um, I think it was yesterday on Twitter, he essentially said if LeBron James – thinks people should play basketball, they're going to play basketball. Now, as someone who's been around the NBA as long as you have, do you not necessarily agree, but do you think LeBron really does have that type of power where if he says he wants to do something or he thinks the league should do something, most of the players are just going to go along with it? 
this is just my opinion. I'm not, you know, I don't have any intel on that. You know, I haven't talked to LeBron or his camp, but from my opinion, he's the best player in the league, you know. So when the best player in the league speaks, obviously the league listens. So I think uh, to some extent that could be right, but, I mean, I don't think LeBron is just demanding that, you know, going in the NBA offices demanding, you know, anything that's going on. But if he really wants to play, why not use his influence to try to push the guy to get back? So I think it's some truth to it, but. Uh, that's just the political side of it as well. Pat Bev speaking out, so you can't blame him for that. How valuable do you think the uh, the bubble situation really is going to uh, really be? Think it can really work? Uh, I think it can. It's it's really going to depend on if a guy gets sick or not. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, how will they react if someone gets sick? But uh, I think it's the best that they can possibly do. You can't prevent that anyone from 100% not being sick with this going on because there's still a lot of things we don't know about the virus. So. Um, I'm curious to see if someone gets – I don't. I hope someone doesn't get sick, but I'm just curious to see how the league will react to that. You know, will it shut down? Like, there's so many questions that I still have. And just how is it going to look? You know, like, no fans. I've never saw a professional basketball game in the NBA play without fans. So, there's so many questions, but it's also, like, intriguing as well because I want to see how it works. What you, uh, would you think of that report where they were going to – they were going to use a 2K fan noise in the speakers. <laughs> Did you have any opinion on that one? I don't know. I, I'm, like I said, I'm just more so curious to see how it's going to look. I mean, it, it sounds a little cheesy, but, you know, who, who knows, man? It might be cool. But uh, I'm just going into it with uh, open thought, you know, and just hoping that it all works out, uh, everything, you know, resumes. Because I'm a basketball, a diehard basketball fan at the end of the day, and I love the NBA. So I want it to work. But, you know, um, they have to also be cautious. And I think – I think Adam Silver and everybody in the front office, uh, league front office, are really trying to make sure this goes uh, great, you know. But I don't know how I feel about it. I, I want to see how it all looks once it's all in place because it's different reading about it than actually seeing it. So I'm, I'm just curious to see it. Yeah, I think that's what – it seems like a lot of NBA fans kind of feel the same way you do. And obviously the league can't control if they have fans or not just because that's a number one safety issue. But they could control how they came back in terms of starting with just the playoffs or starting with some playing games. And what it seems like and what it seems like everyone has agreed we're going to have some games with teams who aren't in the playoffs, giving them a chance to come back and, and possibly get a playoff spot. Do you, when you read about the plan and kind of saw what some of the options were for returning, did you have a preference for how they returned? Did you want it to just start with the playoffs or do you kind of like that some of these non-playoff teams like the Trailblazers or the Pelicans are going to have a shot at getting a playoff spot? I like that they're going to get a shot. I'm a really big fan of really? watching Damian Lillard. Really? And, uh, man, you can't just jump right into being out for three months and jumping right into playoff intensity basketball. Like, that's just like, how can you do that? Guys can get hurt. I mean, you all know the playoff basketball picks up on a whole different level. And some of the guys didn't even have hoops to shoot on for like a couple months, you know, so that's true. They got to have a couple games to get warmed up a little bit. I, I, you know, obviously not like 15 or 20, but I'm okay with, you know, however many games they got coming back with just to get their feet wet before the playoffs because guys are going to be super rusty. I already know. <laughs> so I guess by that, my question is, how do you feel about potentially having a, a player like Zion Williamson in the playoffs? Do you think they're, do you think that's one of the main reasons why they're trying to give, you know, these teams out of the playoffs currently a, a chance to get in the playoffs so people can potentially see Zion Williamson in the playoffs? How do you feel about that? Man, yeah, for sure. Come on now. I mean, we all know it's a star league, you know, star-driven league, so as many ratings as they can get. I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. Yeah, it's basketball, but this is a business. So if you got a young star that, you know, everybody is super interested in, is, you know, just a freaking nature, highlight machine, 
uh, why not invite him and try to, you know, tap into that resource as much as possible. So, yeah, man, it's a star-driven league. They got to, uh, you know, have some intrigue there, you know, so I think that was cool. Okay, so focusing on the bas- basketball aspect, do you think uh, this bubble plan and, like, resuming the next season after three months off gives an advantage to, like, certain teams over others? And if so, like, which teams in particular? You're talking about for, like, not this season, but the 2020, what would that be, 2021 season? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure, man. It's, it's, I'm interested to see, you know, just how, how it's going to be so weird just seeing a season start in December. Um, and just the whole everything is just like tough to even think about. I, I guess the next year without this season uh, ending, but then you got guys who's who going to be sitting off for a long time, like the Bulls, you know. And I, I know they're talking about potentially, you know, having some of the teams, the eight teams that weren't invited, trying to do scrimmages and, you know, still keeping them sharp. Maybe some type of little tournament for those teams. I think that would be great because that would give teams a competitive disadvantage if they're sitting out for almost ten months and, you know, guys have been playing and still, you know relatively in good shape while guys are just at home sitting around for 10 months. I mean, yeah, they're working out doing at-home workouts and stuff like that, but you can't replace actual basketball and, and, and hooping and competition. So, yeah, it could get some teams some uh, competitive advantage, but, I mean, that's just the time. This whole situation is just so crazy. I don't think nobody's dealt with it at all. So everybody's just trying to make the best out of it at this point. What do you think of the idea of the uh, next season starting on Christmas? I don't know, man. That would be that would be crazy. Like I say, uh, just thinking about the whole December start, you know, as a whole, that would just be it's crazy. It would be a lot of hype around it. I'll tell you that. But yeah, it's 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 gonna be interesting. And then possibly if there's no fans next year, like just it's so much to just take in. I guess when I guess I just want to see basketball back, and whether it's on Christmas, Halloween, <laughs> whatever, I just want to see who. <laughs> but hopefully it's safe. You know what I'm saying? If, it, if we if we rushing in, the guys got a chance of. You know, getting sick, you know, it's not that serious. But if it's, if yeah. everything goes well, you know, I'm just hoping we can get basketball back because I miss it. You're not going to get a disagreement from us, that's for sure, on that <laughs> one. Um, and I know you talk, you mentioned you talked to George Hill about all the protests of Black Lives Matter and everything. And for anyone who's interested, you can follow Eric on, on Twitter at uh, E underscore Woodyard. It's on Twitter, and he has the George Hill quotes there as well. Um, and I guess going off of that, we've seen NBA players take part in, in these protests going on across the country. How big of an impact do you think that has had? And, and I know you mentioned it for George Hill. How, how, how much of an impact has it had on NBA players in general and how they view coming back for the season in the NBA and kind of their role in social justice as well? I think, you know, we're right in the middle of everything. So it's like, emotionally you know a lot of the guys are just so engaged in that that it's probably hard to like transition out of that you know maybe once they get locked into basketball mode once things get rolling but right now you're right in the middle of it and I feel like with all the support of athletes not saying that they playing the, you know all the role but I feel like all the support of athletes steady pushing 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 I think it's really driving it's going to drive change like we really as a community as an African-American community been like just pushing for change for all these years and like now it's, it finally feels like you know with the power of social media the power of athletes there we're driving change so we're right in the middle of that of like history in a sense so it's like going from sitting around fighting you know fighting through this coronavirus stuff to going to you know all of these things fighting for african-americans and now now we're supposed to automatically just shift in the basketball mode that might be tough you know as of today but i think once things get going you know guys they're basketball players that's what they do they compete so they're professional so i think they'll be able to lock in but right now you know 
guys are so locked into that. I think it's it's tough to get out of that mode. Now we do we're doing this thing on the uh, on the podcast the last couple of weeks where we're ranking our top players from the 2000s and a month ago we were doing we did point guards we did shooting guards two weeks ago this week we're doing small forwards um, and not to put you on the spot or anything but we just wanted to see if you had any um, top if any favorite small forwards from the 2000s um, that were any of your personal favorites I know obviously LeBron is probably up there Carmelo we, yeah, yeah, we were talking sure. a little bit about that too yeah that's right. I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, you know, Brian Carmelo. I mean, guys like Paul Pierce was had a great run. I'm trying to think of some underrated guys though, who people didn't talk about. Yeah. Uh, who somebody, see that's see see the under yeah. the radar guys. Yeah, yeah under, you know, we know LeBron, Melo, all those guys, but some of the underrated under the radar guys. We was just talking the other day. I don't know if you would put him as like a two or a three, but a guy like Bonzi Wells was nice. You know, people don't talk Ooh. about him as much from Portland. Portland, um, yes, sir. We was talking about a lot of, you know, just a lot of under-the-radar guys that people don't talk about, and I think that's fun always from the 2000s because that was a really fun era to watch, you know. So, man, I have to sit down and I haven't – y'all put me on the spot with that. Who who are y'all saying? Who are y'all discussing <laughs> with that? Well, you know, like you said, obviously uh, LeBron, Carmelo, but I was thinking about guys like – and I don't really know if you could really call him small forward and maybe even power forward, but he was kind of a point forward if you think about it. And that's uh, Lamar Odom. Yeah, Odom, when he first yeah, entered the league. Yeah, yeah, hello was nice, man. Especially in Miami, Clippers, yeah. all that, man. I used to love watching him play. Yeah, he was he was a beast, man. It was it was that was just a fun era of basketball. Like I was a diehard Kobe Bryant fan always my whole life, so uh, <laughs> I always was watching those battles with the Western Conference teams, and it was always man so fun to watch to see those guys. So man, you it, talk about a Western a Conference. Small forward. I was thinking Sean Marion too is another guy. Yeah, Sean Marion was nice. Yeah, yeah, he was oh, nice. Oh my goodness, the Matrix, insanely being, terrible yeah, looking shot. Matrix was nice, man. Okay, he had the worst form. But it was ever. going worst in. Worst form. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that was going in. I just that actually seen an, uh, I just seen a recent interview on with him, and he was talking with uh, Darius Miles, who was another good wing player that was uh, able to uh, have a short career, but he had glimpse. Darius Miles, he had yeah, glimpse and. He did. Q Richardson did too. You know, both of those guys. Quentin Richardson was nice. They both they both had a nice little run. Oh, I didn't even Andre Iguodala. I was looking yeah, at a list Iguodala right now. Nice. Yeah, I have to. I, I'll put me on the spot. I wish I could have had a chance to look at a list, but that's a fun debate. <laughs> I always like, I always like talking about the you know that type of stuff. So that's that's always fun. Yeah, no, well, yeah. I know we're big fans of going back and looking at 2000s NBA highlights on YouTube. Yeah, yeah oh, I was yeah, just showing yeah, my son some, some some highlights the other day. Some old. Allen Iverson highlights and stuff like that. So it's, it's always yep. fun. We always watch this stuff. Because we picked him, right, Ben? We picked him for what? Uh, what best? What best point guard? Out shooting, of guard. Yeah, point guard shooting, shooting guard. Yeah, shooting guard. Yeah, because it was kind of hard to really put it, like you know with Allen Iverson because he was kind of the one, but Eric Snow was kind of the one, but it was, yeah. you know it was kind of weird to really yeah. decipher. But yeah, that was a fun team to watch too. Aaron McKee coming off the bench Absolutely. was nice. Well, man, Eric they had, had a squad. Oh, that was oh, absolutely. It's just when you got no NBA, you have to you got to go back and YouTube and watch some watch some highlights right. to get your picks. <laughs> right, uh, Eric. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Um, I know looking on your Twitter, I know you have a you have a book too on you have a link to Amazon if you wanted to plug that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, so I wrote a book. Um, we did a children's book for my son. Uh, it's called Ethan's Talent Search. Um, it's about him, you know, finding out what he's talented at through like his cousins have different talents and he's not as good as them and 
kind of like, you know, pushing him to not get discouraged and find what his gift is. So, yeah, that, that was fun to write. And uh, also, you know, I did a book a couple of years ago. It's called Wasted. It was about a functioning alcoholic. Uh, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, um, both of those books are on Amazon. You just put my name in on the search and it'll, it'll come up. And, uh, yeah, that's always fun to write, man. Hopefully I, I can get back in the groove of wanting to write something else. There's just been so much going on. But I've been getting a lot of inspiration, you know, being out this time. So that's been fun. I have a question now all of a sudden with that. So how do you be able to uh, balance both of those, you know, being, you know, an NBA writer and writing about, you know, the game that you love and you grew up loving, but then also taking us, you know, a step out of the box and uh, writing about other things. How do you, how do you be able to manage that and do that? Yeah. It's just really, like you say, time management and, uh, you know, figuring out what's important. We've got 24 hours in a day is how we use it. You know? So I think it's putting, you know, blocking things out to the side that that's important to you. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's difficult at times, but, you know, once you get that inspiration and once you live life, you know, it, it's, inspiration started coming to you. Like, I've been home in Michigan um, ever since the pandemic, you know, happened. I, I quarantined here with my family and everything. Okay. Uh, just being around everybody again, it's like I forgot. Like, I've been I've been traveling for, like, three years straight, literally, you know, covering the jazz and, you know, starting this new job at ESPN. So it's been, like, the first time I've been able to just really sit back for – you know, like three months and just, you know, be around like normal people all the time and just, you know, kind of get that, you know, my people being around my people, man. And it's, uh, it's been giving me a lot of inspiration. It's been a lot of fun times. It's been funny, man, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been cool. It's cool. I think it's just all about time management. Yeah, absolutely. Got to take the good with the bad with Sweet. that. Yeah. Well, Eric, we do, we do appreciate you coming on, talking some hoops, even though there's not much to watch in that respect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, man, I appreciate y'all, man. Y'all keep up the good work. All right, yeah, so we want to thank Eric for, for coming on. Appreciate his his input and being uh, the unofficial first guest. I guess Rizzo was our first first guest, but our unofficial non-stadium first guest uh, for yeah. Points in the Big <laughs> Podcast. Definitely want to thank Eric for being on. Appreciate his insight and um, intel on, you know, basically him being an NBA reporter and, you know, what that means during this time. And then also, you know, his insight on, you know, the potential aspect of the NBA returning. And so that's cool. You know, I uh, definitely uh, appreciate Eric coming on. He gave us some insight on, you know, his small fours and the hidden gems of that time. Man, would you ever think uh, Sean Marion's name would have came up? Who would have thought? And then you oh. said it, Ben. So that's what Sean. makes it special. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, you know what, let's get right into our small forwards because we had – Eric gives some of his. Um, the obvious answer is LeBron because right, you know. he dominated the 2000s. He dominated the 2010s. Um, I, I mean, I would probably say LeBron would be my favorite small forward of that era, but I think I would probably be lying because as a Bulls fan in the 2000s, I just hated LeBron, hated him he, with the Cavs and then moving on to the Heat. Oh, yeah. I hated him, and I've done a complete 180 <laughs> in my opinion of him, but at that time I absolutely hated LeBron. Um, being on the Cavs and just ruining everything the Bulls were trying to do. Uh, but I, honestly, like Sean Marion is definitely one of those guys who you look at and you look at him, how he played, and, and you just wonder how he got so great because his shot looks disgusting. He has oh, he's yeah, got the nastiest looking <laughs> shot. Um, it almost looks like he's like double jointed when he's shooting. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, and but it's hard it's hard to think of like anyone who was like extraordinarily dominant at that position. You got your Paul Pierce's, people like that. Uh, you yeah, got your you Carmelo Anthony's. Yeah. But even like when you talk about those guys, they weren't dominant, dominant. 
they were, you know, they they had their time, you know, and that's the moments. thing. Yeah, they had their moments, you know, because I, I can even say Paul Pierce, you know, he reached the Eastern Conference Finals with Antoine Walker before uh, Antoine Walker uh, he ends up leaving, but he goes to the Eastern Conference Finals, and you know, he's he's close to going to the finals and competing against Shaq, you know, but that New Jersey team. Uh, ends up going to the finals, and I believe they get swept by by that Laker team. But you know, uh, Paul Pierce was he was pretty good in his prime. That's a guy who people have to remember. He was stabbed like eight or nine times, so he was still able to perform at an extremely high level despite you know being stabbed you know uh, multiple that's times. You know, impressive. like that's cra- like like that's really <laughs> crazy to come back from. Like you really came back, and not only came back, you eventually won a you know championship. So like. Paul Pierce, you know, he's one of those guys who will definitely be a Hall of Famer. You know, his obviously his number was retired already in Boston. So, you know, he's yeah. he's one of those guys that's going to go down as a great, for sure. Yeah, and he's just one of those small forwards that will always be mentioned as the prototypical 2000 small forward type of guy. Yeah, mid-range. Yeah, he, did, he, he wasn't a three-point shooter. Step back, but he can knock yeah. down a step back, uh, knock down the three ball if you give him a chance. Couldn't really, he didn't really have a quick first step, but he knew how to score. You know, he knew how to score the basketball. He knew how to maneuver and use the angles that he could. You know, bump shoulders with guys whenever he could. And, you know, uses uses uh, strength to his advantage to you know use his shoulder, lean on guys, and then push off and kind of get that separation and knock down the shots that he needed to. And so, yeah, the truth, you know, he was definitely uh good, but. You know who I who okay, before I say this, I gotta ask you this, Ben. Is he a shooting guard or a small forward? That being Tracy McGrady. Is T Mac or shooting was, guard? That is who forward? I was gonna bring up. You read my mind. <laughs> I see, because I know we mentioned him in our last episode a little bit with shooting. I think the more I would probably call him a small forward. I I don't right. know. I I he's take so much farther than me. But he he's two twenty, two fifteen, you know, he's but he just was on the wing regardless. So two guard, three guard, like he just was phenomenal. Like I just recently watched his uh, 2002-2003 highlight season where he was NBA scoring champ. It's utterly ridiculous how good he is. <laughs> like he is so good. Like he is above everybody. Like Kobe Bryant, doesn't matter. Vince Carter, uh, like the, the Pacers, uh, the, any of these great teams during that time, it didn't matter. Like Tracy McGrady was going out there to get 30 points every night. Any old, like in all fashions, three levels, like shooting, attacking the rim, posterizing guys. It was crazy. Yeah, he, he's definitely the guy. He, he was my choice for my small forward. So I guess we have one time where we agree on, on the position because for me it was between <laughs> T-Mac and Vince Carter who were my top small forwards for the 2000s. LeBron, LeBron's LeBron, and he really became LeBron in 2010s, in, in the last 10 years, I would say, in, instead of the 2000s. So I think he's definitely more of a 2010 small forward than he is in the 2000s. So I, I you just have to go with Tracy McGrady. The dude was insane. He was, he was one yeah. of those, like, Allen Iverson guys who was just, every time you watched him, he was just so incredibly damn fun to watch. He put on a show every single time he was on the court. Every time. He just made the game more fun. It just sucks, you know, obviously injuries, injuries always. It's like injuries always just play a role in, like, a, a great player's uh, story. You know, Penny Hardaway, his story. Tell me about injury. it. Derrick Rose fan uh, over here. You know, yeah, right, D. Rose, injury. Uh, who else do we have out there? There's so many guys. 
uh, Vince Carter even he he gets jumper knees, you know, so like he's not as as effective, you know, towards the end of his career. But but look at him, he's still playing, and he just finally retired recently, right? Like mm-hmm. this season after what twenty two years or twenty one years in the NBA. So you know, as my as that being my favorite player of all time, like you know, kudos to him. Thought he probably should have retired, maybe I don't know. 10 years ago, but, you know, to each his own. But, you know, he's still out here uh, making a difference in the NBA. But, you know, another guy, his teammate that uh, we, we could talk about, too, Richard Jefferson, definitely another player who was, like, a real, like, highlight reel for the New Jersey Nets. He was a lot of fun to watch. That that Nets team, too, was mm-hmm. insane. It were so fun to watch with Jason Kidd and Vince Carter yep. and, and Richard Jefferson. I mean, that yep. that was a stacked team. And I and wish I they could have got past Gerald the second Green round. At some point too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, they would have been if they played during you know social media's heyday in the past five years or so. They people would love them. Oh yeah, the, the alley oops that Vince Carter would receive from Jason Kidd and RJ would yeah. receive from Jason Kidd, and then I, I believe that I believe they may have had. They may don't quote me though. They may have had Kenyon Martin too at least one season before he goes to Denver. And competes with Melo and J.R. Smith and Allen Iverson and, and you know that great team that they had out there in Denver. Mm-hmm. But I I believe even with Ken Martin, man, that was some high flying. So definitely some high flying in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, and those are those are some names for sure to to throw back. That's like middle school years for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were, no, just, that's they were like, just fun as hell. Yeah, that's just like a priest. That's like basketball appreciated at its finest for me. Like those are like literally the glory days. Like Tracy McGrady, uh, Vince Carter. I hated him and God rest his soul. But even Kobe Bryant, uh, like all the all the great like wing players, like you know what I'm saying, Allen Iverson, you know, point guard, whatever, shooting guard, whatever you want to call him. Like mm-hmm. D Wade, when he gets in, oh, like, yeah. he gets right to it from like. From the jump, he's in the playoffs from the jump. Like, yeah. the moment he's, you know, arrives in the NBA, like, another wing player, you know, that we talked about on the last podcast, you know, as a two-guard. But there's some other hidden gems out there, too, at small four. You got Rashard Lewis. I like Rashard Lewis and Ray Allen. I liked it that pass. Another I liked guy it with that an insane shot. Oh, yeah, his shot was definitely was high as hell. Above his head. <laughs> yeah, he just put a, he put a really up high, and no one could block it. And it was it was such a quick release, too. No one should ever try it because it, <laughs> it shouldn't have worked. Also, I got to shout out my guy, Luol Dang. Oh, yeah, of course. You got to shout out the uh, Chicago Bull. <laughs> the blue man, Luol. The guy. Uh, but who, he, was, he was good, I, though. He, he, he oh, made yeah, all-star. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, he made an all-star team or two. He was, I mean, defensively as good as, as anyone at the top of the league on defense. Wasn't really a scorer. He definitely needed that offensive help surrounding him, um, but. I mean, everyone, every single season, Luol was the glue guy. He just held everyone together. He held the team together. Um, and he, he was a big part of why the Bulls were pretty good towards the end of that decade of the 2000s and had to give my boy a shout-out, even though I don't even know if he'd be a top 10. He's not a top 10 small forward in the 2000s, maybe not even top 15. But he was there, unsung hero. Yeah, he definitely unsung hero for the uh... – for that Chicago Bulls team, he definitely competed against guys like you know LeBron James and, yeah. and uh, you know Kevin Durant. When he held Kevin the Durant. early LeBron James in check. A young yeah. young LeBron, 2005, 2006. Luol was Luol was able to clamp down on him, and then LeBron got much better, and Luol kind of stayed the same. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was the end of that. And so that leads to 
next topic on points in the paint podcast ben is it overreaction or no or no yeah i had to put it on you this time look at that flipping the script so uh for former players to ask front office and personnel owners to speak now if i'm not mistaken ben don't you have some sound in regards to uh, this topic on overreaction and all in regards to for for uh, former players to uh, speak up and ask I for uh, personnel and front office owners to uh, speak out? Yeah. So the overreaction, as you said, is uh, isn't an overreaction for former players to ask their owners or front office personnel to speak out on social justice issues. Uh, and you sent me two two players. Um, we'll play. We'll play them both. Who, who's the first one you want to play first? Oh, it doesn't matter. Steven Jackson, maybe. All right, we'll play Steven Jackson. I got a lot of love for all y'all, but it's time to hold our owners, GMs, vice presidents, everybody at the top accountable. What if it was your son or daughter? They want you to dance. They want you to smile, promote, shoot, work out, represent the organization the right way, right? But they're not fighting for us. I don't hear none of them. It's time to hold them accountable, bro. Hold y'all president accountable. Hold y'all owner accountable. Because nine out of ten times, if they ain't speaking with us, then they're against us. All right, and then who's the next one? Who did I send you? I sent you Steven Jackson. I sent you Kendrick Perkins. Yes. All right, and so the second one will be Kendrick Perkins. But what are the other 26 owners? Right now, when you look at what's going on in the world today and, the you know, what happened with the George Floyd situation and, and the guys that are out there protesting, the majority of the people who are powerful and popular that are standing on the front line are NBA players. Where are the owners? As an African-American, I could sit up here and talk about, you know, uh, civil rights and, and police brutality. And, yes, it holds a little weight. But at the end of the day, you will have those, a certain amount of people that will say, oh, Kendrick Perkins just speaking out because it happened to an African-American. But when you have a white American with power, like majority of these owners have, and they speak out, it sings a different song. Like, think about this. Owners have galas. They have uh, charity events that players go to and support the owners during the regular season. We have they back all the time, but right now we need them to step forward, and it's not the time to be solid. Because if you're solid, that means you're against us. So they both bring up very good points and i think they're both their points are are very valid in that situation um they they especially kendrick perkins i thought at the end of that when he talked about saying that they do all these things for for the owners in front office they go to fundraisers they help out off the basketball court with whatever they need help with now they're asking for help back and they're not receiving a lot of it i think that's a very valid valid uh, complaint for him to have oh yeah definitely without a doubt you know and you've seen you know, with this George Floyd uh, situation that, you know, guys like Kendrick Perkins have been, you know, on the front line, guys like Steven Jackson, have definitely Steven Jackson, because this is very, very personal for him. And we'll get into that. But, you know, for Kendrick Perkins, like he said, you know, you got all these owners where they request their players to show up to all these different events and these galas and, you know, all these different sorts of things and him being African-American and me myself as well, you know, doing something for your, doing something for your job or for your boss, you know, you build that type of relationship. You expect, you know, something to be given in return. And for, you know, for a time like this, you expect, you know, people 
of all all races and all colors to be able to stand up for something that's you know morally right and you know to speak out against speak speak out on something that's morally right to do you know and so for them to be quiet and not do that it's like Kendrick Perkins was saying like if if you're not with us then it's kind of like you're against us so it's like if you don't if you don't say nothing then you're like are a part of the problem in a sense you know yeah and it seems like more people are realizing that that is true you know you can't you can't just stay silent on things you believe in. Even if you believe it, staying silent is is worse than speaking out. You know, if you believe it and you think you agree with them, you have to say something. You have to show your support. You have to you have to be vocal about it. And a lot of these owners and a lot of the front office people just haven't been doing that. And and you need to see that. It's a Mark Cuban. He went out and he walked with the Dallas Mavericks in, in the protest a couple weeks ago. He showed his support, and he showed that he's behind his players, and I'm sure a lot of the players appreciated what he did. Yeah, and even, uh, you know, Michael Jordan, which some, someone said something that was rather interesting to me, and it caught my attention because when Michael Jordan first, you know, he uh, donated $100 million over the next 10 years towards, you know, uh, social uh, justice reform, and so – that was applauded very well and it should be applauded without question. However, think about this for a second. Michael Jordan, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, correct? Now, how did Michael Jordan become Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan by working his tail off playing basketball for a white owner in white front office and grind and made himself a, a billion dollar brand like Michael Jordan bust his tail off to become Michael Jordan and so he shouldn't have been the first owner to necessarily being been on the front line to do this being a black man because you know what that's already like like you've been on the other side of that fence being from North Carolina growing up the way that he grew up and so like if he knows that he knows that background and knows that situation, it shouldn't have been him to be the first one to do that because he's already made himself the brand that he was by being in those same shoes that these players are in today. Right. Yeah. It should have been, it shouldn't have come from him. He did. I mean, he didn't need to do it first. Like James Dolan, right? Right. Yeah. He hasn't done anything. It's not that he's even like made a statement. He's just, not even said a word, I don't think, of, of any positivity towards anything. The, the Knicks put out some weak statement about racism, and I think that's about it, it seems like. Exactly. And so, like, you have owners like that who are, you know, not speaking up and not speaking out, and here you are at Madison Square Garden, you own the Knicks, you know, the the most what, most expensive uh, team in, amongst the NBA and probably in amongst other sports, uh, sports franchises, too, across the country as well. And so, like, you know, you are like this is Madison Square Garden, New York Knicks. Like this is a polarizing uh, team, win or lose. You know, and that's been a losing organization for quite some time. But you know, you have the ability to have the impact to where where social injustice have even taken place in New York. You have the ability to say something and make a difference, and yet you know you're quiet. And so you know, players who have formerly played in the NBA, it kind of seems like they're tired of the silence. And so and I don't really necessarily blame them either. And so like it's definitely important 
you know, for these players to continue to speak up and speak out on these front offices and these owners and, you know, these different personnel to come out and speak forward and address, you know, and try to make change because, you know, it starts with those who don't look like, you know, a, you know African-American. It starts with other races, you know, of higher power, you know, to uh, be able to speak up and speak out on things that may make others uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, it's It seems like at least things are changing a little bit. These players are finding more and more their voice, and they're finding their power, and I think that's important. It's putting pressure on these owners and these GMs and, and these front office personnel to actually make some of the changes and participate in what these players are asking them to, and I think that's that's mm-hmm. important. So I, I don't think it's an overreaction to say former players should be putting pressure on some of their former teams or, or owners or speaking out on things like that because, first of all, they definitely couldn't do it in their time because they would have been – kicked out of the league, basically, for, for speaking up on something like that. So I think now that they see that it is more popular and, and they are more able to speak out on positions like this, I think more power to them to be able to do it. Absolutely. So, Ben, what is Twitter talking about this week? What it do, baby? Yeah. There is a lot Twitter's talking about. And, Zach, one of my favorite <laughs> players in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, he is no longer a chunky boy. Yeah, Jokic is no longer the, the Pillsbury Doughboy. I have he, uh, seen the photos. He was doing something, P90X, or running up the mountains up in Denver, doing something because he looks, I don't know, I mean, he looks great. He looks skinny. Um, he was definitely a chubster when he went to the first, the first, yeah, the, during media day for Denver, he looked Big. Uh, he he looked like he ate another person. Oh, yeah, the side by side picture, but yeah, they, yeah. If, if you want to see, definitely a little a little chub. That little he has that little neck roll hidden right there a little bit. <laughs> he's got like six necks. It's like six <laughs> necks that that guy is. He I'm telling you, he is. He looked massive, and he the way he plays, I think it was in his advantage to be a little bit bigger. But he he looked huge on on media yeah, day last he year. So on defense throughout the season he did. Too, yeah. he, he he looked like he was kind of chugging along towards the uh, towards the end of that March where he just looked out of shape. So he looks a lot better. He I don't know how many pounds he lost, but it had to have been twenty five thirty pounds because he looks skinny right now. He doesn't have that quadruple chin anymore. He he's got a very <laughs> defined face and he's got. That skinny look. So we'll see how he plays. I'm I'm very excited and interested to see how a skinny Jokic plays because him him being chunky and chubby will kind of <laughs> to his advantage. He played he played kind of in a way that he needed some space to maneuver. So his his bigness really helped with that. So maybe he'll be better on defense. Maybe he'll be a faster player. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of affects his play because a, a skinny Jokic. I don't know if the world's ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready oh. for that. <laughs> Yeah, there's really no official word on how much uh, weight he lost since this uh, new transformation. But it's definitely a little dramatic, and we definitely got to uh, see how it's going to pan out with the different Nuggets, who are a current you know, uh, NBA playoff team. So we'll see what happens, right? But then we got him leaning. You got him losing weight. Then you got a skinny, lean James Harden. He's not as bulky as he was before. Have you seen those pictures on Twitter? Yeah, those I I saw one, um, and it, it, he does look different because he seemed like the past what two years he really bulked up. I mean, he looked like he had muscles, especially this season. I mean, he looked jacked. Um, so maybe he just hasn't had as much access to to weights or something because he he looks looks a little thinner. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I saw him. I, it looked like he was probably in Arizona. I looked like he was in a desert or some sort, but his hair was wild. You know, there's been no haircuts, so his hair yeah, was right. all crazy, weird, crazy. But yeah, man, he looked super lean, but he's looking lean. But then I seen Ben Simmons. He was, uh, he was on the dumbbells and I don't think he need the way his shooting, the way he shoots the basketball. I'm not sure if, you know, curling the biceps is really necessary. What you think, Ben? To see Ben Simmons just jacked is a, I I would be concerned if I was a 76ers fan. Hmm. I would definitely be concerned. You would. I just think that <laughs> I don't know. I just think Ben Ben Simmons needs instead of like working out, he just needs to work on his shot more. I it doesn't seem like he even wants to get a jumper. That's the weird thing. I think he's just like being stubborn because like society has just put in so much like pressure and had so much attitude towards him like shoot a jump shot, shoot a jump shot, shoot a jump shot. <laughs> yeah, and he just goes, No, I won't. Screw you guys. <laughs> it's one of those like opposite things where if you tell someone to do something, they just always do the opposite. Maybe Ben Simmons is just like the NBA's teenager. When his parents and the coaches, you know, everyone's telling him, you know, work on your jump shot, try to get a three-point shot. He just goes, no, I'll show them. I won't do anything with shooting. I'll make my arms yeah. bigger so it's even harder for me to shoot. <laughs> and then his free throw percentage will probably drop. But, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because I think I think he's cool with the idea of, well, you know, I'm an all-star. I've been an all-star. You know, this is cool. I, it works. I, I guess that's how he feels, you know. It works for him, right? But I, I don't know, man. That next level, you know, where people think they should, where they people think, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers should be with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons come playoff time. We just never really know how that's going to pan out and really work. So, you know, they're a big team this year. You know, they're a big team, and maybe they'll have some advantage, you know, if the you know, if season comes back or whatever. You know, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers with Al Horford and. And Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, you know, those big three guys, you know, can, can containing the paint on both offensively and defensively. We'll see what they can do. But that the jump shot for Ben Simmons with the uh, with the curls that I've seen, I don't think that's going to be a part of the game when he comes back. Yeah, that uh, I just don't think it's ever going to be a part of his game. There's another guy, too, who. Apparently, he's been eating a little too many cookies. It's Luka Doncic, my boy. Listen, I'm just hoping that it's muscle. No, it's definitely not muscle. (laughs) Trainer came out. It was reported. And Luka Doncic, you know, he's he's out of shape. You know, he's going to be a little winded out there. You know, he... He's been eating. He's eating some of his American food, some of that food out there in Dallas. There's some good restaurants out there in Dallas, hey, probably. Too, he's just know, been so. chowing that Texas yeah. barbecue. Yeah, you know, eating real good. Oh, yeah, you know they do it real big. Everything got to be big in Texas, so you know the plate's big with the barbecue for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I Listen, we've all been in quarantine a long time, so eating too much, I understand it, Luca. You're okay. You're fine. You'll be able to work it off. Luca will be back to being Luca, even though if he's a little chubbier, maybe that'll help. He just had a little too many, too many muffins or something like that. Cookies, <laughs> ice cream. Too much time to eat the sweets. It's too much Texas barbecue. Too much Texas barbecue. Can't work it off. No. I understand. <laughs> now, I know you're a big gamer, Ben, as such as myself. 
And so I know you've seen the new ad for, uh, first of all, you've seen the new ad. I know you're not a PS5 guy. You know, I mean, a PS4 guy. But no. I know you've seen the uh, the trailer for the PS5, correct? And what yeah, games that came with the PS5 or that's going to be available for the PS5? Yeah. Come yeah. holiday time, 2020? Uh, everyone loves 2K. Oh, yeah, NBA 2K 2020. Well, NBA 2K21. Yeah. Officially, it's going to come out for a PS5 this holiday season. And there was uh, lots of uh, sweat in the uh, trailer. <laughs> there always is. That's the only way they can show that the graphics have improved is they just add sweat to the players every <laughs> single time to those stupid screenshots. It's the dumbest thing. And finally, people are realizing it because they've been doing it for like seven years. The first time it happened, people were like, oh, my God, look at the graphics. You can see the guy's sweat. The next year, they did the same exact thing. They just added more sweat. No one realized yeah, it. Zion, you know, you, they, they utilized Zion Williamson, and he's uh, sweaty. But then all the critiquing that took place on Twitter was was hilarious. All the jokes that, that was on Twitter was hilarious. It's like, okay, I see all this sweat. But am I going to be able to throw a, a pass down the court? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't care how sweaty the guy is, but if the shot goes into the stands every time and the guy just gets stuck in midair because there's a glitch, what is exactly. the point? Because that happens right. more often. Than, I, I'm never playing 2K. This has literally never happened, Zach, where I'm playing 2K and I look <laughs> at the screen and I go, wow, they look really sweaty and really realistic. That has happened zero times. It is more often than not that I'm just screaming at the TV because Especially the guy's ass goes backcourt for some reason when there's no one in the backcourt. No, right. No, especially especially nowadays because, like, you know what I'm saying, it's HD TV, 4K, you like, that's irrelevant now. Like, it better look good, you know, with all these all these different fancy flat screen TVs, smart TVs that we have nowadays, access to whatever. So, like, it better look good, but the gameplay, like, can I throw a car course pass? Can I make a layup? Like, can I get the rebound? Like, is it going to glitch out? Like, Yeah, you, you end up trying to do a layup, and the guy takes a jump shot from one foot away and just airballs it. Yeah. like. But you can, see the, you can see them sweat really well, so the game is good. So they got to make sure they produce some better gameplay for NBA 2K21. Yes, I just I need NBA Live back or something. There needs to be some competition because that is just it's it's turned into Their a game. Just can't play. Are, no, see, not to throw any shade at EA because you know they were the ones giving us you know the college basketball and football. So no shade to them. It's true. Even though we need those back, but no shade. We need those back, but no shade. The graphics for NBA Live were getting. Bad as the years were coming along. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. They were getting worse and worse. But they did a good job, 2K, utilizing Zion. But did you see Zion Williamson's rookie card was Yeah, so I did not see this. And so my question to you, Ben, is how much do you think a Zion Williamson rookie card was auctioned off for? How much do you think? I, I, it's more than I think, and I know I'm going to be mad at what it actually was sold for. Uh, was it over? It was, was it over a thousand dollars? yeah, it was definitely over a thousand dollars. Oh crap! Um, <laughs> man, well, what did it sell for? I'm, I'm ready to be mad. Oh man, give me one more guess. Did it sell for over? Was it over? Was it like ten to fifteen grand? 
Okay, I guess I'll just go out and tell you. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Zion Williamson, in case you've never heard of that guy, don't know who that is, you know, go to YouTube. You'll find a lot of uh, <laughs> you'll find a lot, a lot of highlights of Zion Williamson. Of course, we've talked about him on this podcast late in the NBA season as he was uh, injured, you know, throughout the most. But he returned during the middle of the season. And he was popular, you know, social media, you know, drawing big NBA fans and everything. So, you know, Zion Williamson, rookie card, went for $100,000 oh. at an auction. <laughs> That's insane. $100,000 rookie card already. Like, was it already? Signed? It looks like it's signed. It got some blue ink on it. It looks like it is signed, yes. <laughs> That is a lot of money. I I know nothing about how much cards are supposed to be worth, but that seems like a lot. What? A hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, that's a lot. Rookie card. What if he doesn't even be Hall of Fame? Like, what if he just what if he just regular? Like, what if he just don't even be like great? Like, what if he just regular? Like, what if he just Richard Jefferson? (laughs) Like, what? Oh, no. Joakim Noah, like, what if he's Carlos Boozer, like, what if he just, yeah, what if he's Carlos Boozer at best? So you paid $100,000 for a rookie card of a guy similar to Carlos Boozer. Okay. <laughs> would you pay, would you pay that, like, right? I mean, I could be, like, I could be completely wrong, like, don't get me wrong now, like, he could be everything, he could be the best thing since sliced bread when he, you know, when the NBA returns, and, you know, it's worth that. But what if he isn't? Like, what if he just becomes, you know, a couple all-stars, you know, got the big contract. Nothing someone, too crazy, right? Would you pay a hundred thousand dollars? No. Yeah, someone got ripped back. off then, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, man, that's gonna conclude this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast, right, Ben? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Take it out. All right, so yeah, that'll conclude this edition of Points in the Paint podcast. Zach Badgerhouse, remember follow me on Twitter at Zach Badgerhouse, and of course the good buddy Ben Wittenstein too as well. Follow Stadium on Twitter and Shams for all your latest NBA news and updates. Make sure you follow the other podcasts, Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. They drop every week too as well, particularly on Thursday. They have some. They have some great podcast uh, stuff going on so make sure you check out Amina and Felder they're doing some great things during this pandemic as we try to do too as well and you'll hear from us next time and don't forget to add Eric on Twitter too as well as E underscore Woodyard yeah thanks to him again yes thanks to him as well for being on the podcast this week and we'll see you guys next time